Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to join me in Luke 19. Uh, today's a big day because the gathering at 840 is meeting in their building this morning for the first time. We praise the Lord for that. They were able to get everything they needed done. And uh, so that's a good thing to report to you. And I know they're excited about that, that we had what's known as lift tour here this weekend for our students. And that's kind of like what we would have called something like a disciple now. If you're familiar with that term, it's kind of a weekend emphasis for our students and had a good group here uh, for that. You know, several weeks ago, as we were kind of looking at Easter, we decided that what we were going to do over these next couple of weeks is just skip ahead into Luke uh, because that's where we've been studying and that, that we would make that our study. One of the things that uh, you would know about me if you're one of my closer friends is that I'm not a creative person. Uh, we have people on our staff, if there's anything that was ever creatively done here, you can rest assured I had nothing to do with it. Uh, I once failed drawing stick figures, you know? It was like, you don't put circles with stick figures, Pastor, you can't do that. And so I, I've been kind of one of those guys that, that struggles to do that, and so I like to have a plan for our preaching, I don't like to kind of wait until the week that it's starting. That makes me actually very nervous uh, because I feel this pressure that comes on. And so we'd, we'd already decided that this was going to be our passage of scripture uh, for the week, uh, this week. And uh, it's typically on this Sunday that you take a moment and kind of mark Palm Sunday in such a way as it is because it's kind of a remembrance of the last week of the Savior's life. A few weeks, I mean, a few years ago, we studied the Gospel of John, and you may remember that John actually spends a large portion of his Gospel really dealing with the last week of the Savior's life. I mean, there's an inordinate amount of time, really, that he spends compared to the other Gospel writers, and uh, I think it's important. Palm Sunday gets its name from that day that takes place where the triumphant entry is happening. Jesus had been kind of, if you go to Israel with us, you know that Jesus had kind of been hanging out on one side of a valley and, and you know, they would call it a mountain. We Tennesseans wouldn't really call it a mountain. We'd call it a bigger hill, you know, but it's like a mountain over here. And then you, you descend into a valley and you go back up into what is the Temple Mount area of Jerusalem. And, and this is kind of that processional that takes place. And the Bible records for us that people were, were finally embracing Jesus as king and savior. And they began to cut down palm branches and lay them in the road. And they took their cloaks and their coats off and, and laid them. And as he rode that, that donkey, the colt that had not been ridden by anyone down through that trail, they were singing Hosanna and, and crying out Hosanna, I should say. Now, a huge part of Jesus' ministry had taken place far away from the city in a place in the, uh, the region of Galilee, I should say. And it's a countryside, really, where Jesus had built his following. Every time that he went to the city, he was actually under a lot of pressure. And you remember that there were times where they kind of ran him out of the city, so to speak. And at one time, they, they tried to stone him, and he's able to slip through the crowd, the scripture tells us. But the temple in Jerusalem is where the power structure is, and that's where Jesus is, is headed, down from the mountain, through the valley, and back up into the city. And I want you to see how this took place. So if you would, verse 32 of chapter 19 kind of describes it. It says, so those who were sent left and found it just as he had told them. 
They were untying the colt. Its owners came to them and said, why are you untying the colt? And said, the Lord needs it, they said. They brought it to Jesus and after throwing their clothes on the colt, they helped Jesus get on it. And he was going along, they were spreading their clothes on the road. And now he came near the path down the Mount of Olives and the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees from the crowd told him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered and said, I tell you, if they were to keep silent, the stones would cry out. I mean, what a day, right? I mean, to, to see that people are finally comprehending who Jesus is, that he's not just another rabbi, a teacher sent to teach them things, but this is a procession fit for a king, isn't it? I mean, it, it, it kind of has that air about it. It's happening right near Jerusalem. Maybe this is the time that it all comes together. And it's what happens next that I want to draw your attention to in the text this morning. And this was our plan all along as we kind of made our plans for this week was to look at this next passage of scripture. And I think God's timing on this is important because, you know, it's often said about our lives that, that there's nothing constant in our lives except that they change. They go up, they go down. You're happy, you're sad. Uh, you win, you lose. I mean, it, it's just the way that it is. And it's interesting to note that in your life, maybe one week your family's doing well, but the next week they're not, they're struggling. Or something good's happening at work this week, and the next week it's not, it's a struggle. And these emotional swings that, that we experience are not something that the Savior himself was unfamiliar with. He, he was very familiar with it because it happened to him. And I want you to see what happens in the next few verses Right as the crowd is, is seeing him come into Jerusalem as, as the reigning king, the Messiah, I want you to see what happened and what Jesus saw because I think what he sees can help us understand some things this morning. Verse 41 says, as he approached and saw the city, he wept for it, saying, if you knew this day what would bring peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes, for the days will come on you when your enemies will build a barricade around you and they'll surround you and hem you in on every side. They will crush you and your children among you to the ground. They will not leave one stone on another in your midst because you did not recognize the time when God visited you. When I picked these five verses to be our focal point for this Sunday a few weeks ago on this occasion of Palm Sunday, I, I began to think about what might cause Jesus to weep. What, what would it be that Jesus would come to a city and everyone else is excited and all of a sudden his temperament changes and it becomes something very different. He begins to weep. The Bible tells us that on three different occasions it mentions that Jesus shed tears like this uh, and, and it's two occasions that we'll look at today because it actually says the word weep or wept. Uh, and just in case you're wondering about the third occasion, you, some of you Bible trivia people would be bothered by this if we didn't deal with it. It actually comes from Hebrews, and I'll read it for you. Hebrews chapter five, verse seven says that during his earthly life, he offered prayers and appeals 
with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was the son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. So you kind of get from this passage of scripture that Jesus had more than just a a prayer life where he went before the Father and just spoke about things to God the Father. It was a vibrant prayer life. It It was emotive in its prayer life. There was, there was emotion wrapped up in it as, as he cried over the things that he was praying about. That was something that was normal. And, and we could probably look at that passage of scripture maybe in another Sunday and spend some time talking about what it means to have a vibrant prayer life. But today, I want you to look at the two things that caused Jesus to weep during his earthly ministry. And the first thing that made Jesus weep was a city that rejected him. That's the passage we just read. The first thing is that it was a city that rejected him. As Jesus got closer and closer to Jerusalem, he became overcome with emotion and he began to weep. Now, this is not just that he began to shed some tears like we often do, where you're kind of able to to pull it together and kind of compose yourself. When it talks about him weeping, it's a loud thing. And, and, And Jesus is weeping And maybe not for the reasons that we would think that he's weeping. You see, Jesus wasn't coming to just be the king over Jerusalem. He wasn't coming and and sad because he'd wanted to run for city council or mayor and they rejected him. He wasn't sad because he was hoping that he was going to be recognized for his humanitarian work and doing all the miracles and and people rejecting him for that. that. That wasn't what caused him to weep at all. That might lead to a disappointment, But verse 43 and 44 and 45 kind of give us a little bit of that understanding, I think, of what caused Jesus to weep. Verse 43 says, the days will come on you when your enemies will build a barricade around you. They'll surround you, hem you in on every side, crush you and your children among you to the ground. They will not leave one stone on another in your midst because you did not recognize the time when God visited you. What Jesus sees here is something very beyond the obvious. Uh, If you could see it from the human standpoint, you'd, you'd see something very different because the week that Jesus was entering Jerusalem is a special week. It's the Passover week. So that means that the city is swelling with a throng of people that are coming in from all over the country to celebrate the Passover. The city's literally going to be bursting at the seams. It's going to be a big week for them. Jews from all over will have made the long pilgrimage to participate in the Passover. And it would have been an incredible scene to be a part of. There would have been the sounds of lambs being ready to be sacrificed. There would have been the, 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 uh, the sound of, of people buying things in the markets to prepare that Passover meal. There would have been the reunion of people as, as they came and celebrated that together. Hey, I haven't seen you since last year. Good to see you. I'm so glad you could come. Come stay with us. Come be with us. Those things would have been taking place. It would have been a season, and I know that it's hard for us to, to probably understand this, But it would have been a season that would have maybe, I guess the closest thing in the States would be like the Christmas holidays. There would have been a hustle and bustle in that week of people moving throughout the city and it would have been an expectation of gladness because they were celebrating the deliverance of the nation of Israel out of Egypt when God had allowed the angel to pass over them. So from a human perspective, 
things were great. In fact, maybe the only visible reminders that they would have had that things weren't great would have been the Roman soldiers posted throughout the city there to make sure the crowds stayed under control and there wasn't a riot to take place because they were under Roman rule. And they couldn't get away from the fact they were occupied by a foreign army, but like it happens so often in our nation, around the holidays, you kind of set aside those things and you don't dwell on those things. You, you, you get excited about what's happening. So why then does Jesus stop and start to weep? Well, being the son of God, you have to understand that Jesus doesn't just see in the present. He sees eternity past. He sees eternity future. So in eternity past, he saw that little sleepy, sleepy town become the city of David. He's seen Solomon build that temple. He's seen that temple destroyed, his people carried off. He, he's seen uh, the temple being rebuilt. And he sees into the future of what's going to happen. See, Jews were excited at this time because that temple was being refurbished again by Herod. And it, it's going to be finished. The, those things are going to be finished about AD 64, but AD 70, none of it's left. It's ruined. It's broken down. And it's that coming judgment that Jesus speaks of in this passage. The great city Jerusalem, the pride of the nation, the holy city is going to be crushed to rubble and everything's going to be broken. Nothing's going to be left. And Jesus says it's because the people rejected him when he had been sent to give them peace. When I read this scripture passage a few weeks ago, my mind immediately went to the great city in which we live. We live in a wonderful city. We live in a, a place that is, is desirable to be a part of. We live in a, a city that has grown a lot. Uh, it's definitely a different city than the one that I moved to in 1991 as a uh, high school student when my parents relocated here and we moved to the suburbs. Back then, if you, you wanted to really experience the city, there wasn't a whole lot to do. You could go to Opryland. Anybody remember Opryland and the, the Wabash Cannonball roller coaster? I tell you, see, some of y'all, you know, some good stuff. You could go to Second Avenue and kind of walk around, but there wasn't anything to it. It was a sleepy little city back then. It's changed so much. Now, uh, in Nashville, it consistently ranks as, as one of the, the it cities on all of the lists that you could see. We, we have all kinds of things. Lower Broadway's been completely transformed. We have football teams and baseball teams and we have soccer teams and hockey teams and concert venues all around the city. It's a great place to be a part of. To go downtown on a Friday or Saturday night is to truly see a throng of humanity descending on our city from around the country. Every time I fly out of the city and I fly back in, any of you who travel know this, you can tell who's going to Nashville and they're not from there. You know what I'm saying? Because they're wearing the cowboy boots and the cowboy hats and they're kind of ready to go, you know? You can kind of see it and you just think tourist, you know? It's interesting to notice that because the number of wedding parties that are taking place here, bachelorette parties, and yet all that glitters in our city is not gold because the very things that people celebrate in our city often have them entrapped and enslaved. 
So sports, and sports are great. I hope you're gonna watch March Madness and all these kinds of things. But sports are a God to this country. It's not just a, a coliseum where people are playing. It's a God that we build our lives around. It's, it's something that, that, that takes place now where, where sports betting is entrapping people. And you say, well, I mean, is it really that big a deal to bet? If, if gambling wasn't a problem, folks, they wouldn't say if you have a gambling problem on every one of the advertisements. It's vice. Just outside of, of, of the neon lights of Broadway and the shadows that they cast are people who are living in the shadows in homelessness. There's a sex trafficking industry that exists in our city that just kind of hides in the shadows. All that glitters is not gold. Just below the surface of the newly polished buildings that we see downtown going up are drug uh, drug addicted people and people who are struggling just to, to get their lives through the day. And the Bible says about a city When the righteous thrive, a city rejoices. When the wicked die, there is joyful shouting. And and I just gotta say, in Nashville, it seems like we're like Jerusalem in so many ways. On the outside, things look like they're booming. I mean, it's great. But all you have to do is just get below the surface. And you see the revelry of Lower Broadway is really a lot of people trying to fill their lives with things that won't last. And so we look to things like diversion and and these kinds of things, and our city may be desirable to the masses, but I wonder what reaction Jesus would have if we brought him down to Lower Broadway. Would he be impressed with the same things that we're impressed with? Or would his eyes look beneath all that we see And when you see the brokenness of a city in need of a savior. The reason he wept at the sight of Jerusalem was because he was, was able to see how sad it was that people were rejecting the very thing that God had sent to make them whole. You can't find peace with God by spending your time in Watching sports, that's great to do, but it won't give you peace with God. You can't find peace with God by making money. You can't find peace with God by planning your next vacation. None of those things happen. That's not how we arrive at peace with God the Father. Peace only comes through Christ who reconciles us to the Father. And Jesus loved every square inch of that city. He loved it. After all, he'd seen it from its founding to its present day. I'm sure that his heart broke because they wouldn't accept him as Messiah, but it was breaking even more because he was broken down with grief because he knew what was coming. He wasn't just getting a glimpse into the past, but he saw the future. During that destruction of the city, commentators tell us There was only a small portion of the wall of the city that was left intact. The Romans came through and literally destroyed everything. They killed everyone, men, women, children alike, only saving some of the fittest and strongest and best looking to go back and be part of the gladiator games. That was their lot in life. 
total devastation. So when we look back to Nashville, I wonder if we have the same experience that Jesus has. When you look at your city, are you glad that you live in the it city? Are you, are you excited about that? Or are you able to see past that and see that every person you walk by, you don't see them as friend or foe, but what you see are people who are either reconciled to God in peace with God or they're not. People whose eternities hang in the balance today and if they're not reconciled to God, the scripture says that they will spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. If we were burdened for our city, it would make us engage the people of our city with the gospel. It would cause us to see beneath the, the things that the city offers us. I mean, I like taking advantage of the great things in the city. But sometimes it's so easy for me to just have my head buried in the sand. And to go about my day as if everything is great here and not see. I don't want to see that. I, I don't want to have to deal with that today. I don't want to have to look at that. I don't want to step over in this because it's messy. I don't want to have to deal with this person, Lord. It's messy. And yet, that's exactly why Jesus has left us here. We have a ministry of reconciliation, reconciling people to God the Father through Christ the Son. So may God grant us the vision to care for every square inch of the city so that we could see it as valuable and love it in such a way that our heart would break for a city so that it would be more important to build the kingdom than building our portfolios and, and more important to spend time interacting with people than just spending our time in diversion that we would engage the hurting and see behind the facade of happiness and revelry to let people know that they can have peace with God the Father before it's too late. When Jesus saw that city, he wept. There's a second time in scripture that it says Jesus wept. The second thing that caused him to weep was the pain associated with death. You may have heard the story of Jesus raising a man named Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus was one of his good friends. The Gospel of John chapter 11 contains the shortest verse in all of the Bible for all of you Bible trivia people. John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. The verse has long been a favorite of, of Bible trivia aficionados, but its placement in the overall story surrounding Lazarus' resurrection I think is very insightful for us to understand. Because where it's placed is actually surprising. See, Jesus and Lazarus were good friends. Lazarus had two sisters, Mary and Martha, and Jesus was often in their home. He hung out with them on a regular basis. Their home was like a refuge for Christ. He would stop there and, and get away from the crowds from time to time. And these were people I imagine that Jesus felt very comfortable with, and, and so much so that Mary and Martha felt like they could call Jesus and say, hey, Lazarus is sick, can you come? I mean, they had no trouble doing that. And the scripture says that when Jesus heard that, he didn't go right away. He hung out for a couple of more days where he was at. And then when he went, he arrived in a town called Bethany and he was met with Martha and Mary. And I want you to hear what they said to him because I think it's important. In John chapter 11 and verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. 
Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, he will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you're the Messiah, the son of God who comes into the world. Well, Martha was correct. If Jesus had come, Lazarus wouldn't have died. She knew it. She knew that Jesus could do all things. And so there's kind of the little bit of the disconnect of where were you? Like we needed you. Thought we were tight. Thought you were going to come and answer what we asked you to do. But Jesus had delayed and he had told his disciples this is on purpose. But this isn't what made Jesus weep. It's what happened next. It's when Mary came in verse 32. As soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And when Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you put him, he asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. Jesus wept. Now, I'm gonna clue you in on a little secret Jesus raises Lazarus from death to life. So that feels a little funny, right? I mean, it's awesome. It's this powerful moment of Jesus doing the unexpected in his ministry of bringing someone back from the dead. So I guess I have a question. If you were going to do a miracle that would make everyone happy, why would you weep? I mean, you know you're about to change the entire situation of these people's lives. What would cause you to weep? Well, translators have had a little bit of a difficult time with a couple of these verses, one of which is verse 33, where it says, Jesus was deeply moved in his spirit. It's a hard thing to translate. And as I was studying about this, one of the things that I learned when, when they struggle with this, it, it's because it, it's really the same type of meaning as a horse when it kind of snorts. And so what they're saying here, if you can kind of figure this out, it's that when Jesus was moved deeply in his spirit, he caught a sob in his chest, <gasps> like you do when you're about to sob. This wasn't Jesus again. He's not crying like this. He's weeping with them. His body responding to what he sees. Something about this moment did more than cause Jesus to shed a little tear. It moved him to a depth of emotion where he's sobbing and kind of that suck sobbing of a chest that's going on. And he's weeping because of the pain that he sees that everyone else is in as a result of this death. See, death isn't natural. It's tough. As we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Jesus shows us something in this passage that I think is very important for us. He said, we never weep alone. We never mourn alone. We, we, don't, we don't mourn something that Jesus doesn't understand. Jesus is weeping because his friend experienced death. He's weeping because Mary and Martha are grieved to their core. He's weeping because these are people that he loved. When we go through tragedy, God is never far from us. When we experience loss in our family or pain, he mourns with us. He weeps over death. He weeps over hurting people. God enters our pain. He sits with us while we weep. And isn't that exactly what best friends do? People often ask me, 
What do you do when you're called to go to someone's house that has just experienced a tragedy? Nothing. You just go and sit. That's all. There's nothing to say. In fact, don't say anything. Don't try to make it make sense. We mourn with those who mourn. We weep with those who weep. We rejoice with those who rejoice. That's what we do. You come and, and you just embrace one another and, and we cry together and, and we go through that. That's what Jesus does. What we find is that when our friends come and begin to weep with us and mourn with us, something amazing happens. All of a sudden, we don't have to cry as much. They share in that grief. And they take part of that burden from us. And as they cry with us, we find that it eases our pain. There's a time for weeping, and Jesus shows us how the brokenness of this world affects even him. We also know something incredible, don't we? And that's the, that we can make a, a difference by expanding the kingdom of God. By reconciling people to God, we give them the hope of a future. We give them the hope of peace with God. And so if we look at the things that cause Jesus to weep, we don't have to be afraid of those things. We can step into those things. We, we don't have to feel uncomfortable about it. We can look at a city and go, man, that is a broken spot right there. And we can weep over that. And we can weep over the lost and cry out to God that God would save our friends, our family, the people that we, that we run across every day. We can sit beside people who are going through enormous tragedy and we can weep with them. We, we can comfort their souls as they understand that God has loved them. That he brings peace. Romans 5.1 it says, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a peace that passes all understanding. It only comes from Christ. Jerusalem really needed that peace. But instead, they rejected it. And, and we need that peace like never before. And, and guess what? Next week, we'll be able to say the same thing. We need that peace like never before. And 20 years ago in our country, they were able to say that same thing. We need God's peace like never before. It never changes. The problems don't change. People need the Lord. We have this ministry of reconciliation that we might change someone's life for all eternity. Now, along the way, we will experience difficulties, loss, pain, setbacks, and disappointments. How do we deal with that? How do we do that? This week, and many of you have seen the movie, and I, I didn't get to see it in theaters, so I'm waiting to see it when it comes out, but many of you saw the Jesus Revolution movie, and that story kind of chronicles what happened in the Jesus movement of the 1970s. And there were a couple of people that were at the center of it, Greg Laurie, and, and I saw something that he wrote this week that one of his mentors gave him when he was experiencing extreme loss. And he said, never exchange what you don't know about God for what you do know about God. 
Never exchange what you don't know about God for what you do know about God. Well, what do we know about God? God loves our city. God sent Jesus to die for the sins of our city, the people that are in this city. God loves our city. He loves every inch of it. If we think we love Nashville, it pales in comparison to what Jesus thinks about Nashville and how much he loves Nashville. He died so that they might have peace with God. And we carry around this ministry of reconciliation in our bodies, as the Apostle Paul says. It's ours to bring people into to relationship with God the Father. What do we know about God and how he handles people who are hurting? He weeps with them. Far from being disconnected and unmoved by that, he weeps with them. Never exchange what you don't know about God for what you do know about God. We declare the promises of God to be true and know that the scripture says they are yes in Christ Jesus that God is faithful, God is loving, God is merciful, God's grace abounds, for he is good. I want you to bow with me as we pray. You know, I don't know if you find today yourself in personal grief or a hard place, facing something you wouldn't have chosen. But I do know that we serve a savior who is never far from us and he weeps with us. Would you just cast your burdens on him this morning? you ask the Savior to give you a heart for our city? Ask God to do a work to redeem the lost. Reconcile them to the Father so they may have peace. God our Father how weak and frail we are and God we may have the view today that everything is awesome right here at home in Nashville Tennessee and yet Father there are thousands upon thousands who if they die today will spend eternity in hell would you God help us to be broken hearted over the lostness of the city God, we have the answer. Give us favor with people so that we can share the gospel with them. Let them be moved to reconcile with you. God, perhaps there's one in our midst today who doesn't know you. If they died today, Lord, they'd spend eternity separated from you. And our hope is that today they would give their life to you. They would repent of their sins and trust Christ as Savior. Holy Spirit, would you move in our midst? Move 
over the lives of people who are lost that they may be saved. God, we pray for those who are hurting among us today. Our brothers and sisters in Christ outside the walls of this church, but Lord, even within the walls of our church, Lord, we've come in with burdens and fightings and fears and things that that creep in, doubts that we have. God, may we never exchange what we don't know about you for what we do know. You are good. You are faithful. You're holy. You are just. Your mercies are new every day. And your grace abounds to us. Thank you for that. And we praise you for these things in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.